Psalm 115, 1 through 13, it says this, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. Why did the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold, made by hands of men. They have mouths, but cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. But they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is the help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Please be seated. Let's go to our Lord in prayer, who we should be trusting in. Holy Father, we praise you. We honor you. We glorify you. As we read your infallible, inerrant, perfect, holy word, Father, we ask that we be a people who truly live by your word. Holy Spirit inspired, Father, we thank you that your word is so powerful as it reaches down and changes us from the inside out. Father, we ask right now that you be with Pastor Casey as he shares your word on discipleship. Help us to be disciples, recognizing we're, we're obeying and following and being led by a God who is none like any other. There's no gods before you, Father. Please deal with the idols in our lives and help us to depend on you today. We love you and praise you. It's through Christ's name. Amen. family. 
Glad to see everyone hasn't headed north and the faithful remnant remain here after Easter. We just got back from the Gospel Coalition, as I mentioned, and I wanted to share a brief story before I begin into the message, um, just putting all the dependence on who God is and His Holy Spirit and what He does in us. And the last day of the conference, as it's shutting down, our church group is in the bookstore, and we're just praying together as a group, um, some of our groups praying together and just saying, you know, God, thank you for this conference. Thank you for what you're doing in us. Thank you for what you're doing in our church. Please help us to continue to go forward and glorify you. Um, and when we were done praying, we were on our way out, and we looked over and we saw another portion of our church, and they were in prayer. And so we said, man, that is, that is awesome. We want to go over there and lay hands on them and pray with them. And when we made it over there to them, um, the whole group was sobbing in tears. And they were crying. And it's because God showed up in the midst of their heart and broke some issues that were going on. And it was nothing that was preached on during the conference, but the Holy Spirit was the one through the presentation of God's word that convicted the hearts. And I, I say all of that this morning, just a reminder of what that is, that this preaching, this word, our singing, none of that matters unless the Holy Spirit comes through the work of God and breaks us. And at this conference, it, it was, it's just a reminder to see the Holy Spirit moves. And, and this individual who was there, this should be the cry of our heart. How can I continue serving and worship God when there's sin in my life? That's what they said. That God convicted them and broke them of this, and they said there was something that needed to be reconciled with an individual that was not reconciled. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm living my life diametrically opposed to what God says, but I say I'm living for that. And so that's a testimony just at the last day of the conference. That was the highlight of our conference, that God was working in our hearts and our spirits and renewing our minds. And reconciliation, the process of restoring relationships is the only place in the world where reconciliation can happen is in the body of Christ. Because you can forgive but reconciliation makes relationships stronger than they were when they were. And that's what we've been to Jesus Christ, reconciled to him. And our relationship now, we can have one, and it's stronger than ever before. And so I say all of that for us as we enter into a time of prayer for this morning, that God can work in our hearts and our lives. We may be open with ears to hear what he and his word has to tell us. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to come into this place, challenge us, change us, and convict us. Because what I'm going to be preaching on this morning, many of you have probably heard, we don't need new knowledge of God. We need a new revelation and experience of the Holy Spirit working in our lives to apply what we already know. So would you please play with, pray with me? Holy Spirit, please come into this place. God, we know your word promises that where two or three are gathered, in my name, I will be there. God, we come to you recognizing and realizing and understanding that unless you work in our hearts and our minds today, we're wasting our time. 
God, come and speak through me. I am unworthy and unclean on my own account to present your word, to be a pastor, let alone to even say the name of Jesus Christ. God, may you use that for the glory of your name. May you use our church to glorify you in everything that we say and that we think and that we do in our relationships, in our workplace, in our families, and in the privateness of our own minds. Be with us today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing our series in discipleship. I hope you're not tired of seeing that video. Um, I think that as I'm sitting there, I wonder if these people are tired of seeing the video. But I hope you're not because there's so much in there that we have to do. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 14 this morning. So I hope you have an inspired word of God this morning. I'll leave it at that. Word of God is inspired. If you have your Bible, for those of you who are using it on an iPad or a phone, that can be inspired word of God as well. Luke chapter 14 and... We're talking about the cost of discipleship. When we look at our culture today and we see what churches call men to, many times we don't see what Jesus was calling them to. And I have an issue with that. That churches are calling people to just come and get this Jesus and we've turned Christianity into a product that we're selling. And it's a product of, and, it, and it's from our consumer-driven culture But Jesus, we are going to see, was totally against that. And so we're going to begin in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. And I'll read all the way until verse 33. So beginning in verse 25, it says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So here in verse 25 and on, we see a large crowd following after Jesus. And I want you to know they've left their job for the day. Okay, They've left their family. They've left their responsibilities. And they're just following after him. They've left all of those things. I don't know how many of you are losing money by being in church this morning, but I'm not losing any money. It's my day off. It's not really a day off. I guess I'm up here preaching, but it's my day off. Maybe that's your day off. Saturday and Sunday, you're not losing money, but these men and women are losing out on money. They're not fishing that day. They're not doing crops. They're not making anything. They're following Jesus Christ. And in the midst of them giving up the whole day, maybe they're hungry and they went without food for a couple hours. They're following him. And Jesus says, and he turns to them, and he doesn't say anything like, thank you so much for following me and, you know, losing out money today. I appreciate that. And you're so loved. No, he turns to them and says, if any of you are going to follow me, you need to understand what it means. You need to hate your father, your mother, your brother and sister, your children, your grandchildren. And if you can't do that, you're not going to be my disciple. You can't be my disciple. And then he says, continuing on, one step farther. And I say all of that, and I'm going to explain that, but I say all of that is we need to understand these people were putting forth an effort to Jesus Christ. 
they were acting spiritually in some sense. And my fear is that many times on Marco and Naples in the United States, people are doing just enough to satisfy their conscience of their God. Just enough to satisfy their own conscience of I'm putting forth a little bit of effort. And I know when I first read these, I'm like, well, you know, those people aren't as busy as I am. Life was simpler then, right? They didn't have soccer games that I got to take the kids to and business meetings and texts going off all the time and I got to do this and that. Listen, they didn't have those things. Life was simpler, but that doesn't mean life was not busy. It was still just as busy because we as humans like busy. We like staying busy. We feel lazy if we're not busy. And so we like to do. And this crowd, many times, is a lot of people who sit in church. And Jesus turns to them and says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. And I want to explain that verse, especially the word hate. Because we grew up hearing, you shouldn't use the word hate. That's a bad word. Um, that verse was meant to rub us the wrong way. And it rubbed the crowd the wrong way when Jesus said, you have to hate. Now, the word hate Jesus is using is not the same word we understand it as, I hate someone. Jesus was using it in reference to not a hatred, but a lesser love. My love, an example of my own life, for my wife should be so small compared to my love for God that it seems in comparison to hate. That's the call of love we should have towards Jesus Christ. That my love and devotion to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, as much as that is, everything else in this world looks like a hatred in comparison to that love. God calls me to love my spouse and my family and lead them, not to hate them, but to honor them and respect them above myself. But I'm to love him so much more. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have that type of love for Jesus Christ? Many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, will say, no, as I am. No, I, I need to work on that. So I just want to take a moment as we continue, because when we read things like this, we need to stop and allow the Spirit to work in us. And this is our dependence on God. So we're going to take a moment and just pray for that love to develop God to work it in us. So would you please pray with me in regards to that love? God, help us to love you how you call us to. It's hard for me to imagine my love for you in comparison to my wife looking the way you've called it to be. But God, as the disciple of Jesus Christ, that's what you've called us to. God, I pray for this incredible love that we may have for you. Work in us and change us. Break us of where we need to be broken. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm done, actually. That was where I wanted to end. Um, but unfortunately, Jesus goes on, and he's just finished talking to this crowd, and then he uses the word and. And he's not quite finished yet. He already put this huge burden on them, and then he goes on to say, and... Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I hope you've seen from previous weeks that it was never Jesus Christ's intentions to gather large crowds. 
I mean, the crowd that was following him was probably thousands of men and women. And he turns to them and he tells them this staunch call. And he was never trying to get a large crowd. In fact, he was trying to dwindle the crowd down. And the reason he's trying to dwindle this crowd down is to find who the real disciples of Jesus Christ really are. And he calls them and he tells them, listen, you're going to have to carry your own cross. And when we look at the message of Christianity that's going forth many times today, it's a message of just a hope and come to Jesus and he's going to make you all these things and improve your life. And here we see Jesus saying, listen, if you follow me, these, are, these things are going to happen. Don't follow me unless you're willing to go through with it. And he's being honest because over 90% of the people who followed Jesus Christ at this time, later down the road, they're going to be crucified they're going to be hung. They're going to be tortured, burned at the stake. So he's being honest with these people saying, listen, if you're going to follow me, you're going to face persecution trials. You might even die. Most of you probably will. And he's calling them to wean them out. He's being honest saying, listen, if you're not in this for the long haul, I'm just giving you a warning. And so I want us to keep going. In verse 27, he says, Anyone who does not carry his cross cannot follow me and be my disciple. The first thing that we need to understand there is disciples of Jesus Christ are called, we are called to take up our cross. That should be the first fill in the blank there. Take up our cross. This does not mean I have a little cross around my neck that I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to call myself a Christian. No, this means taking up as Jesus did his physical cross, dying to self, a willingness to die. Taking up a cross, we are willingly submitting ourselves to a death sentence. We are willingly identifying with Jesus Christ and his death sentence by being a Christian. His death sentence. As a Christian, you are called to consider yourself dead. Consider yourself dead to a few things, to sin to the world and our sinful, selfish desires of our heart. We're called to be dead to those things now and alive to Jesus Christ. There's a couple of passages I want to read that emphasize as disciples of Jesus Christ what we're supposed to be. Galatians 5.24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus, the church, disciples, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Imagine your sinful flesh taking it out of your body and putting it on that cross and it being crucified. That's what we're supposed to be like with our sinful desires and our flesh. Colossians 3, verses 3 through 7. You don't have to turn there. This passage is an incredible passage, one that I've really enjoyed reading over. It says, For you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, we put to death, therefore, because of what we just read, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. I was reading through and I found a summary of those verses that I want to read to you. 
It's a summary of those verses that they just emphasized a little bit. Listen carefully, and it should be convicting. It says, consider yourself dead to worldly contacts. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, dirty-mindedness, uncontrolled passion, evil desires, and the lust for other people's goods, which amount to idolatry. It is because of these very things that the holy anger of God falls upon those who refuse to obey Him. Scripture says we refuse to obey God. All men know God, have a revelation of God, and that we willingly choose to refuse to obey Him. And it says because of this, the wrath of God will come against those who do so. And then it goes on to say, and never forget, church, this is for us, never forget that you had a part in those dreadful things when you lived that old life. Your relationships, your marriage, your relationship with your kids, how you treat others at work, all of that should be flowing through that you should never forget that you had a part in sexual immorality, dirtiness, dirty-mindedness, uncontrolled passions, evil desires, the lust of your heart. You had a part in those. I had a part in those. And because I had a part in those, Christ took on the cross because of those things. And I've been cleaned because of those things. That's the gospel, and it's the grace of good news. And because of those things, I can now live in a different relationship with people because of what Christ has done in my life. It's an evidence of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. As we continue moving down the verses, I want to go into verse 28 and on. And if you've been in church for any number of years, you've probably heard the following verses as I have, and it's always been relating to good stewardship. You know, you have your finances and your portfolio, good business planning or something of a similar nature. And I'm here to tell you these verses have nothing to do with that. They're given in light of the call Jesus just said to die to yourself. And so let's continue on in verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he says, for if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegate while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who do not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple." These verses are not talking about your portfolio, how much of a next purchase you can afford. No, they're talking about your life. If you're going to say, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, he goes on to say, okay, I've called you to this. These are the requirements. And if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm just telling you, you need to count the cost. And that should be the next thing is you need to count the cost. Because if you start down this road, and in their culture, all the time, they were being persecuted and put to death for being a follower of Jesus Christ. Just because we're in the United States doesn't mean we have a free ticket to not have to count the cost. 
Because when we became obedient to Jesus Christ and we counted the cost, it should change our lives. And listen, you count the cost every day. When I wake up and I don't feel like loving or I don't feel like giving or serving, I'm counting the cost saying, what am I going to choose between? Dying to self or, or living for God? And many times we get this stuck in our mind that our salvation was way back then, whenever it was, and we counted the cost then. But we don't have to count the cost continually as we go through this life. Jesus did not say such things as, all you have to do is trust in me. He didn't say such things as, just believe in me, or just go to church most of the time and be a good moral person. That's where many people live. You don't have to worry about me. I'm a good person. I go to church. I get my things taken care of. Jesus is not calling us to that. He's calling us to die to self, to follow him. And I don't want anyone to misunderstand. Jesus is not saying that if you do these things, you will be my disciple. He's not saying it's all about what you do and your works. No, Jesus is saying my true disciples will do these things. And it's an evidence of a disciple of Jesus Christ that you're willing to die to self and you're willing to walk that road. And so it's not based on legalism or moralism of how much I do good. No, listen, disciples of Jesus Christ do good and love because they understand what God is doing in and through them. It's an evidence of that relationship. I want to read... Verse 33, again, it says, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. In regarding verse 33, John MacArthur writes, Only those willing to carefully assess the cost and invest all they have in his kingdom are worthy to enter. This speaks of something far more than mere abandonment of one's possessions. Many times we even get stuck on that. God, you want me to give what I earned? We get stuck on that when God's saying, no, I don't want you to give what you earned because you didn't earn it. I gave it to you and it's mine. I want you to give your whole life and everything else. And we take issues many times with this one thing. God is saying, listen, if you're having an issue in this one area, you can't count the cost and be my disciple. So he goes on to say, John MacArthur does, his disciples were permitted to retain no privileges make no demands, we are to safeguard no cherished sins. Do you have cherished sins? Ones that you know are bad, but you've been with them so long, they're almost like this little pet of ours, and I have them as well. And God wants to not just get rid of them, He wants to destroy them in our life. And if we grasp onto those so much, many times we will get damaged in the process because God has to get rid of that in our life for disciples of Jesus Christ. We have to let those things go. Not to safeguard cherished sin, treasure no earthly possession, and cling to no secret self-indulgences. Our commitment to Him must be without reservation. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, maybe somebody invited you, um, Man, this discipleship Christianity thing really sounds like a bad deal, okay? I could go live my life and do all these other things and enjoy this 
fun, joy-filled life and not have to worry about these burdens and all these things. Listen, if you are thinking that way, then you don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you don't understand the wrathfulness of God that's coming for the sin in your life that one day you will have to stand accountable for at the end of your life or now. But when you understand in light of who God is, who you are, and your sinfulness, man, that's the greatest, most joyful noise you can ever have, and we have to keep that at the forefront of our minds in everything we do. So if you're thinking, man, this is a really tough thing, you need to understand the gospel more, and you need to strive and desire God more. Now, um, I want to ask you, how many of you were sat down with at the beginning of your Christianity, your Christian life, and you were told these things? Because I wasn't. Like, I sat down and, and they shared with me the good news and the gift and forgiveness, but I was never told about counting the cost, dying to self, that I can't fulfill my selfish desires any longer, that I had to honor others ahead of myself. I was never told that. Were any of you sat down and told the, the starsh reality of all these things? No. But the important thing is now that you have been told these things, now that you have been told what are you going to do with this relationship that you have? Because the question is, if it's a continual ongoing dying of self, are you in? Are you in? Are you going to say yes? I mean, are you willing to say this morning, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ and I will honor and submit to the way his word just talked about me being a disciple of Jesus Christ? That's a question I want to ask you. And in the silentness of your own heart this morning, there's only one of two answers. It's either a yes, I will be a disciple of Jesus Christ the way we've seen in your word. Or the other answer is no, I can't do that. So in the silent of your, silentness of your heart, take a moment and answer that between you and God. I want to take a moment and pray for those answers. So would you please pray with me? God, I pray for the yeses in this room that said, I am willing to be a disciple as called out in your word that's been presented this morning. God, encourage us, strengthen us, help us to be going through this life as a disciple of Jesus Christ to the end. Help us to remain in your commitment, not because we have the strength, but in humility and weakness, because that is your will. God, I pray for the no's in this room. God, may they understand your love for them, your hatred of sin and the sin in their life. God, I pray that um, you may be working in these things. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And I'm not quite finished yet, Chris. <laughs> I still have a whole story that I have to get to. So if you guys want to go back for a few minutes longer, that would be okay. Okay, thank you. Well, I had a lot of stories. They didn't know which story. So I'm almost to the end. In closing, there is a long story that I have to share that I want to share with each of these. Um, if we answered yes 
For those of us who answered yes, I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Should circumstances in this life ever change our commitment to Jesus? What do you think, church? Okay, circumstances should never change our commitment. If we answer yes, because we've said I'm dying to self, I'm dying to my wants, my desires. When times get rough, just recently, um, a family member, distant family member back home, they're going through cancer. And things have been going great. And then they just found out they can't afford cancer treatment anymore. Their insurance didn't cover. They're not sure. And I read in a Facebook post where they said, where is Christ now? Things were going great. It's easy to praise God when things are going great. And then news happens. And then, just, then it was just, where is God now? Our circumstances don't dictate our relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants to work in the midst of those things. I have another story that I heard in college, and it's easy for us to say these things, but I want you to put yourself in this person's shoes. In college, while I was there, ministry, there was a pastor in a local town next to us, and his, he had three kids. He found two of his kids, there was a rattlesnake, that had bitten them, really young, toddler age, bit both of his kids. Frantic, he grabbed the kids, rattlesnakes, very poisonous, especially in small children. The venom can just flow through their body immediately. And grabbed his kids, killed the snake, put him in the back of the car, racing to the hospital. On his way out of the driveway, he backed over his third child. So he's to try to grab all of the children. At, at that point, moving forward in his life, if you're in that situation, counting the cost and understanding who a disciple is, are, are you going to say what we just said? There's no circumstance in this life that's going to change my devotion to him. Those are things that you decide beforehand before you're in the midst of those circumstances, it's going to happen. Because Jesus is calling us here, and he talked with this crowd saying, listen, you're going to count the cost. That's why he's saying, look, if you're going to build this foundation, you better know what's coming. Because Scripture tells us what's coming. And if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be going through verses 7 through 12. And this is Paul writing to us, Writing to the Corinthian church, it says, But we have this, treasures in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed, always carrying in my body the death of Jesus Christ. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. He understands he's died to self and that Jesus Christ lives in him despite circumstances. For, listen, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal body so that death is at work in us but life in you. Paul understood this. 
The disciples understood this. We are called to understand this. I have a short story that I want to read written by C.S. Lewis. I hope you forgive that it will be reading. I don't have his short story memorized, but it's very pertinent to this morning's message. And it's called Counting the Cost. It says, The terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self and all your wishes to Christ. Christ says, Give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or to crown it or to stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become your will. When I was a child, I often had a toothache. And I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for the night and let me get to sleep. But I did not want to go to my mother. Some of you know why. At least not till the pain became very bad. And the reason I did not want to go was this. I did not doubt she would give me the aspirin, but I knew she would do something else. I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from the pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth permanently set straight. And I knew those dentists. I knew once they started fiddling around with all sorts of teeth, which not had yet had begun to ache, that they would not let sleeping dogs lie. If you gave them an inch, they would take a mile. Now, if I may put it that way, our Lord is like the dentist. If you give him an inch, he will take a mile. Doesn't of people go to him to be cured of some one particular sin they may be ashamed of, which is obviously spoiling their day, like a bad temper or drunkenness. Well, he will cure it all right, but he won't stop there. That may be all you ask, but if once you call him in, he will give you the full treatment. That is why he warned people to count the cost before becoming Christians. Make no mistake. He says, if you let me in, I will make you perfect. The moment you put yourself in my hands, that is what you are in for. Nothing less than that. Last week, I went to the dentist. And everything was going great. They do these little things where they test, I guess, how healthy your gums are, where they poke them with a little sharp object to see if they bleed. And my thinking is, if you didn't poke them with a sharp object, they probably wouldn't be bleeding. But they're poking around. They're like, yeah, this is good. Very healthy. Excellent. Excellent. Everything looks good. There just might be one little spot. And then I get to the dentist. And the dentist is like, yep, something there, something there, something there, something there. Ended up having five cavities. I brush and floss regularly. It didn't hurt. My mouth doesn't hurt. I didn't have any pains. Jesus is just like that. We may have a lot of issues going on in our life, 
And he knows exactly where the decay and the rot is. And he's not just going to let us go through life dealing with these things. No, he wants to destroy them. Just like a good dentist won't see a cavity that's going to eventually spread and destroy your mouth. No, it's going to be taken care of and going to be destroyed. The same thing is true as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to share just a little bit more, and then we will be done. Okay. This is continuing his story. I'm almost done. Whatever suffering it may cost you in your earthly life, whatever it cost me, I will never rest nor let you rest until you are literally perfect. Until my Father can say without reservation that he is well pleased with you, as he said he was well pleased with me. This I can do and will do and will do nothing less. The goal towards which he is beginning to guide you is absolute perfection and no power in the whole universe except yourself can prevent him from taking you to that goal. This is what you are in for. And it's very important to realize that if we do not, then we are very likely to start pulling back and resisting him. I think many of us, when Christ has enabled us to overcome one or two sins, that we're an obvious nuisance in our life, are inclined to feel, though we don't put this into words, that we are now good enough. He has done all he wanted him to do. And we should be obliged if he would now leave us alone. But this is a fatal mistake. The question is not what we intended ourselves to be, but what he intended us to be. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house, and at first perhaps you understand what he's doing. He's getting rid of leaks in the roof and so on. You know, the things you know need to be done to the house. But presently he starts knocking around in the house that hurts and that doesn't seem to make sense. What on earth is God up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. A palace that he intends to come in and live himself. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit, called by God to give our lives in obedience to Jesus Christ because of the gospel. There's a song that I haven't heard in many years called Sanctuary. Maybe some of you are familiar with it. But it calls about us allowing God to change in us and make us into a sanctuary, something that's going to be worthy of his honor and glory to live in. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, it should be our heart and prayer that we are allowing God to change us and work in us to make us obedient to his riches and honor and glory. Would you pray with me and then we'll worship together. God, we do want to live for you. Help us to count the cost. God, I want to be changed by you. I want to be obedient to your commands. Thank you for growing me, for challenging me. I have yet not arrived where you want me to be. I know there is many things you want us to do. God, help us to be obedient to those. Help us understand what you've done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.